You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. So our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 12 through 20, and I read this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if this is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have died in Christ have perished. For if this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of those who should be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So when I was in college and Facebook looked a lot different than it does now, one of the things that we would do to occupy our time was to fill out these notes about ourselves. And basically how it happened is that one person in our friend group would fill it out and we would say, oh no, we did the last one, we're not going to do this one, and so we'd do this one too. And we'd fill it out and the next friend would fill it out and your entire circle of friends have filled this, these things out to share with one another. And one of them that we filled out was called 25 Truths About Myself. Pretty explanatory what's going on in that post. I scrolled back through my Facebook to see if I could go back far enough um, to find mine, but then I got sad because of how long ago college was. Um, But I remember that one thing a friend of mine said a long, long time ago is that I doubt the existence of God 25% of the time. And that like sh- like scattered my poor little college brain oh so long ago because I had two thoughts. First of all, how can you quantify doubt in that exact to bring it down into a percentage? And two, this is one of my friends that's in theology classes with me. How can someone that's taking a theology degree doubt the existence of God that much or that often? And I have to admit to you that I have grown since then. And I realize that belief in God is hard sometimes. Life throws us things that we don't expect to happen. And we start to wonder if there's a God. Circumstances beyond our control happen to us. And we're just a little bit uncertain. And sometimes the world doesn't make a lot of sense right now, right? 
And it's hard sometimes to believe that there is a God behind all of this. So part of what I want you to know today is this, that there is nothing wrong with doubt. Even doubt 25% of the time. There is nothing wrong with doubt. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we all go through doubt, even if we can't quantify it into a percentage. The problem comes when doubt is allowed to fester. The problem comes when we do not address the source of our doubt, either with God through prayer or through the testimony of Scripture or through a conversation that we know, with someone that we know and love and trust. Because what doubt does when it festers is it grows. It grows stronger. And sometimes doubt gives way to disbelief. And that's when we can run into serious problems. Now, I'm sure it will come as no surprise to you whatsoever, but the Corinthians struggled with doubt. And the area where they struggled with doubt the hardest struggled with doubt so much so that Paul had to address it was behind the idea of the resurrection. And I want to make myself clear, the Corinthians did not doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who, through his earthly ministry, raised other people from the dead. And so Jesus would have been more than capable and more than able to raise himself from the dead. They did not doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That they could hold on to. What they doubted was the resurrection of the body. What they doubted was the resurrection of other people. They doubted the resurrection of their friends and strangers and other people that had fallen asleep in faith. They struggled with this idea that there was a resurrection for them. But what Paul taught them when he was with them and what Paul retaught them through the letter of 1 Corinthians is exactly what Paul had received through the disciples. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples in an upper room, and part of that's communion, but also there was a whole lot of teaching that Jesus did in that moment. And in his teaching, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away. But where I'm going, I am preparing a place for you, and I will take you to myself. If it were not so, would I have told you? John 14. Jesus teaches the disciples to expect a resurrection and teaches the disciples to believe in a resurrection. And so what Paul taught the church and is reteaching the church is that there is a bigger hope than we can imagine that is made possible through the love of Jesus Christ proclaimed in the resurrection. But there were just some in Corinth that could not get behind that idea. There was just some in Corinth that just flat out refused to believe it. And I want to defend them for just a second because I get it. See, This was an entirely new concept 
for them. And can we be honest with ourselves for a second? It's not an entirely new concept for us, but do we have a hard time believing it just a little bit? Is that maybe part of that 25% of doubt for us? It's hard to understand because it's on such a different plane of existence. But for the Corinthians, most of the, I mean, as with all of the early church, the church is made in Corinth is made up of Jewish converts to Christianity and pagan believers that had no faith background whatsoever before their interactions with Christ. And from their very youngest days, our Jewish friends that converted to Christianity would have been taught the concept of Sheol. And Sheol is described as a gray land beneath the world where the dead lived a shadowy existence without strength or light and cut off from the world and cut off from God. It's a lot different than the resurrection of the body. It's a lot different than believing in heaven. And pagans that had no faith background were mostly influenced by Greek philosophy. And in Greek philosophy, the the physical world is evil, and so our bodies are not able to be redeemed, much less resurrected. So Paul is shaking their world apart by presenting these teachings. Paul is saying some hard stuff because our Christian belief is so much different and so much bigger, and so much full, more full of that more excellent way love we talked about last week, a love that is true when we are false, and a love that will endure until the very end of time. Our faith and our hope and our love are grounded in this truth. Jesus changed everything when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was found to be empty. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can and should believe in our own resurrection, not just as some concept, but as a reality. And not just in the abstract, but in the fact that we ourselves and everything that makes us who we are will be resurrected and raised from the dead. And this is part of the unending love of Jesus that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And doesn't this just sound like a part of a love that never ends? A love that is bigger than we can think or fathom. A love that is present even after the death of our physical bodies. Love never ends. Because of the resurrection. Paul says to the church, and so says to you and to me, that you can't have one without the other. You cannot believe in the resurrection of Jesus without believing in the resurrection of our bodies. And for Paul, this is a bedrock bedrock part of faith. But Paul helps the church see a little bit clearer what he means by laying out some of the implications of why it matters so much to believe in the resurrection, not only of Jesus, but the resurrection of the body. See, Paul says in our scripture that if the resurrection is false, then Christianity is worthless. If Jesus did not defeat death by being raised to new life, death still reigns. And Jesus' death on the cross is not sufficient for us to overcome the power of sin in our lives. Paul says that if 
if the resurrection is not true, that there is no point to his life's work and the life work of the evangelists that are around him. Paul says to the church that if resurrection is not true, then we might as well just go home. Because nothing that we do here matters. Every word we pray, every lyric we sing, every note the band plays, every word I say, none of it matters if there is no resurrection. If when we die, it is truly the end of all things, we have nothing in which to put our faith, no greater hope to ascribe to, and no love that lasts forever. If the resurrection is not true, this love that Paul just talked about in chapter 13, lasting to the end of time, comes to an abrupt and unceremonious end. But friends, we know this from the testimony of Scripture and from the generations of faith that have brought us to this point. We know that Jesus' resurrection is true. We know that our resurrection is assured, and we know that love never ends. We know that Jesus' resurrection is true, that our resurrection is assured, and love never ends. In his commentary on this passage, William um, Barclay tells this story. During World War II, a certain city church in London was decorated for a harvest celebration. And in the middle of their decorations, in the middle of the gifts of harvest, was this huge sheaf of corn. The problem was is that the service was never held. The problem was is that on Saturday night, an air raid took out the entire church and, and that part of the city. So amidst this pile of rubble and wreckage is all these, you know, fruits of the harvest. But what someone noticed in the spring is that on the site where the church once stood, there were shoots of green popping up. And throughout the spring and into the summer, those shoots grew well, and by autumn there was a flourishing patch of corn in the midst of all the rubble and destruction of this church. Not even bombs and destruction could kill the life of corn and the life of its seeds. How much more can the resurrection not be denied? The resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of our bodies is proof that life is stronger than death. The resurrection of, the, of Jesus and the resurrection of our bodies proclaims that God's love for you is this great and God's love never ends. Even if we doubt 25% of the time or more, God's love never ends. Even if we just flat out don't believe, God's love never ends. And even in the midst of our feelings of unworthiness, God's love never ends. Would you pray with me? Risen and reigning Jesus, we give you thanks for the truth of our lives. We give you thanks for the truth of your life in the midst of our lives. We give you thanks that love does indeed never end. That our hope is assured. And that your word is true. 
in the midst of life and all of its intricacies, in the midst of life and all the circumstances we find ourselves in, help us to hold on to this truth. The resurrection is real. Hope is real. And love never ends. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.